On Champagne and Murder, Please, we talk about some sensitive topics not meant for younger audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Hey, true crime fans, I'm Brittany, and with my sometimes co-hosts, Tara and Mark, this is Champagne and Murder, Please. We are excited to be presenting you with our podcast. Tara and Mark are here to help us through these terrible stories with a selection of champagne or a selection of, well, honestly, anything with bubbles. And I will tell you a tale of murder that you may or may not have heard before. So get your drink of choice ready because here we go. The drink for today's episode is brought to you by Tara. She chose a Mum Napa Brut Rosé, which can be found at most local grocery stores for around $20. Drink up. Hey everyone, it's Brittany. It's just me solo today because Tara and Mark couldn't make it, but hopefully I'll have them on future episodes. Today's story is about the Grimes sisters from a suburb of Chicago. This case was called one of the most labor-intensive missing persons and murder investigations in Cook County. Authors even went so far as to say it was a crime that shattered the innocence of Chicago. The Grimes sisters were two young ladies, Barbara and Patricia, 15 and 12, from McKinley Park, known devotees of the king himself, Elvis Presley, and inseparable sisters. Their love for Elvis is what set them off on December 28, 1956, to Brighton Park Theater, where they were going to see Love Me Tender for the 11th time. The sisters were also members of the official Elvis Presley fan club, so their devotion ran deep, as it did with most teenagers at the time. Barbara and Patricia had about $2.50 that night to cover the expenses of the movie and popcorn and possibly a bus ride home, which in today's money would be $27.22 and still wouldn't get you a movie and popcorn and a ride home. The theater was only about a mile and a half from the girls' home, so they left for the movie about 7.30 p.m. And whether they walked or took the bus is unclear. Dorothy Weiner was a school friend of Patricia, and she would later tell investigators that she and her sister had sat behind the Grimes sisters during the movie. And although they didn't stay for the second showing, she saw the sisters in line for popcorn during the intermission, and nothing seemed to be off about them. And she presumed that they stayed for the second showing of the movie. Even with staying to see the second showing, the girls would have made it home before their midnight curfew. So when midnight came and went, the girls' mother, Loretta, made some calls to their friends to see if they had been with them, and when they weren't, she sent her daughter, Teresa, and son, Joey, to wait for them at the bus stop by the house. By the time three buses had come and gone, the siblings returned home, where Loretta called the police to report her daughter's missing. The police did what they always do, and assumed for about a week that the girls were just runaways and that they would be home any day. Instead of taking Loretta seriously and looking for the girls, right away wasting valuable time sitting on their hands and not looking for two endangered girls. Obviously, this was more innocent time, and no one would think two girls would be kidnapped and murdered, but when Loretta continued to press, the police finally got together and started a task force that included surrounding towns, officers, and volunteers looking for the sisters and handing out flyers in the area. All the canvassing led to reports of sightings that later turned out to be unfounded, and sent police on wild goose chases, and had them coming up with plenty of other theories why the girls went missing. All in all, about 300,000 people were questioned, with 2,000 of those being looked at more closely. 
There were some false confessions, specifically Edward Bedwell, who claimed he only confessed after a lengthy interrogation and he was coerced into it. Despite the efforts of the police and many media appeals drumming up reported sightings, there was little to no evidence produced from any of it. Several teenagers at the theater that night recall seeing the sisters talking to a boy who resembled Elvis by a car, and the only description of that car was that it was a Mercury model. Some of the theories that came up were that the girls simply ran away to be with boyfriends or even were on their way to Nashville to meet Elvis at one of his concerts. Loretta pleaded publicly that if someone was holding them, please let them call me, adding, I'll forgive them from the bottom of my heart. The disappearance also garnered a public plea from the Graceland estate itself, stating, if you are good Presley fans, you'll go home and ease your mother's worries. As the weeks went on and nothing new came about, the Grimes family was losing hope. But on January 22, 1957, the snow was quickly thawing and a construction worker named Leonard Prescott spotted what he would later recall to the police as these flesh-colored things behind a guardrail on German Church Road in Willow Springs. Being that he was unsure of what he was actually seeing, he left and came back later with his wife, Marie, who reportedly fainted upon realizing what she was seeing. Those flesh-colored things were actually the nude bodies of the Grimes sisters, and the Prescotts immediately reported their findings to the police in Willow Springs. Unfortunately, the transition from missing persons to a murder case was mishandled in many ways. Not only did the investigators and police swarm the scene, ruining any potential evidence, but there was a lot of infighting among the law enforcement agencies and the coroner's office, leading to ambiguities and all-out conflicts over the cause of death of the sisters. There was evidence of strangulation, sexual assault, and puncture wounds from what appeared to be an ice pick on the girls' bodies, but there was no obvious fatal wound on either girl. Although, through examination of the girls' stomach contents, the forensic pathologists did concur that the girls had died about five hours after they had last been seen alive. Toxicology reports all came back clean, and no pieces of the girls' clothing were ever found. Barbara, it would seem likely, had engaged in sexual intercourse before she died, but they do not know if it was consensual. There was no evidence of forcible molestation found. Both of the death certificates list cause of death being murder, specifically secondary shock, also known as deferred shock, which is a shock occurring several hours to a day after illness or injury, and it was as a result of the exposure to low temperatures. It would seem the girls' bodies had lain undiscovered for many days before eventually being spotted. Due to the state of preservation given the time between their disappearance and discovery, Though despite the official conclusions, Chief Investigator for the Cook County Coroner's Office, Harry Gloss, disagreed with the official time of death, stating that there had been many marks of violence on those girls' faces. He also contended the thin layer of ice found encrusted on the sisters' bodies would indicate they most likely would have been alive until January 7th, since there hadn't been sufficient snowfall to react to the natural body heat. Gloss also said that this proved their bodies had been warm when they were dumped along German Church Road. Gloss, in addition to these facts, stated that both girls had been sexually assaulted throughout their captivity upon the discovery of semen within the swabbed vaginal fluid from Patricia's body. Barbara and Patricia Grimes were laid to rest side by side at Holy Sepulchre Cemetery in Alsip, Illinois, on January 28, 1957. 
One year after the murders, Loretta Grimes stated she was convinced that her daughters were murdered by someone they knew, because despite the bitterly cold temperatures, they would not have gotten into a vehicle driven by a stranger. This case remains unsolved, but it is still an open case. As of 2013, the Grimes sister's brother, James, who was 11 at the time of the murder, stated he welcomed what he saw as a public reopening of the case, stating, I just assumed it was never going to be solved, but maybe there is hope. Also in 2013, retired West Chicago police officer Raymond Johnson started a personal investigation into the Grimes sisters' case. Johnson is considered an expert on this case. He became interested in 2010 when he began researching a, for a book he was writing about the history of the city. Johnson believes this case is a solvable one as long as the public assists. He believes the perpetrator of this crime had been a 23-year-old self-confessed child killer named Charles Leroy Milquist. Milquist had been convicted in 1958 of a murder of a 15-year-old Bonnie Lee Scott, whose decapitated body had been found two months after she had disappeared and only about 10 miles from where the Grimes sisters' bodies had been found. There were similarities in the murder and the disposal of the bodies. Melquist was never questioned in the Grimes sisters' murder, thanks to his lawyer forbidding him to be the subject of questioning. Melquist was never charged and died in 2010. The truth may lie with him, but who knows? 1957 isn't that long ago. Perhaps this cold case will eventually thaw one day after all. My sources for today's episode came from Wikipedia and crimecapsule.com. And before you go, I wanted to say thank you for taking the time to listen to my podcast. If you like the podcast, go ahead and give it a follow. Next week, we're going to be talking about some spooky witches. So stay tuned for that.